good afternoon, or before noon, right? It's not afternoon, this is before noon. It's good to see everybody out this morning and enjoying the beautiful weather. I was glad to get some sunshine yesterday, amen. We got to get some uh, things uh, going that uh, we've had to hold off because of weather and the rain and all that, but uh, we was blessed with a good, nice day yesterday, enjoyed time with family. It's always fun to be around family. Amen. Family is good. Um, to continue on the Corinthians series, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, this week. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. It's on the screen, so let's stand as we read these uh, scriptures and let it explain some things to our heart. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan rivalry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to us as examples for us. They were written down to warn us to li who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the book of Corinthians and, Lord, the things that it adds to our life. God, we pray today that you would allow us just to... Uh, Receive your word with a joyful heart today. And Lord, we pray a blessing over all the mothers here with us. And Lord, those that's in our community. Lord, we pray that you would comfort and guide those that are hurting during this season. Lord, that you would just be with them and comfort them through your Holy Spirit. God, help this word to apply to our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In all of Corinthians, this is a, a really a, a high point as Paul is writing back to the church and, and letting them know about temptation and letting them know that there is uh, troubles and trials in this life, that there are seasons that we don't expect to come that come. Has anybody in the room today ever went through something in your life that you didn't see coming? 
or that you didn't anticipate to happen, that it would sprung upon you all of a sudden. And as Paul is writing back telling the church that, that don't be dismayed by these things when they happen, but understand that everybody's tempted, everybody's tried. And God, is, he don't test us or he doesn't tempt anyone, but he does allow it through that the enemy comes to him and asks just as he did as he did for Job. So whenever God allows the enemy to tempt us, God knows that we're stronger than the temptation. Amen? He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your inner workings and your personality and, and all the parts that make up you as an individual. And he knows what you are tempted by. And he knows how strong that the enemy is going to try to attack you. But God also knows that he makes a way. Amen. He makes a way to get you out of those troubles and those temptations. And everybody in this room has been through things in life that they've been tempted by. Temptation is basically a, a way to sin, a highway to sin. If I want to go to work at Ashland, I've got to pick a highway of how I'm going to get there. Amen? I've got to take the road that I want to take. And there's multiple paths that I can take to get to Ashland. I can, I can get out of here on, uh, go right straight across 59 and go up the old road and hit Route 8 and go all the way up till it turns into 23 at Portsmouth and keep going and it'll take me right to my workplace. I can get out here and turn on the double A and head up the double A to the Greenup Dam and go up 23 and end up in Ashland. I can go up and turn out and go on the double A and go up to the Grayson Spur, go to Grayson, hit 64, and get to Ashland. There's multiple ways to get where you're going. And what temptation is, is a path that looks like the best route that the enemy puts in front of you because he wants to uh, divert your direction. He don't want you, if, if your destination is Ashland, the enemy doesn't want you in Ashland. If God's desire for your life is to bless your life and cause you to live a holy, prosperous life, the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy is not encouraged by you thinking that you're going to prosper or that you're going to be in health or that you're going to see God move in your life. The enemy doesn't like those destination points. So he comes and paints a different road. And even though you're supposed to be going towards Ashland, the enemy will say it's better for you to go to Maysville. And he tries to get you on that route. And those temptations that come are the highway to get you there. Maysville itself is not sin, or the road to there is not sin, but once you get there, it is sin. I'm just painting a picture. I'm not saying that don't go to Maysville to go to Ashland. Both towns are okay. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm okay with Maysville. <laughs> what do they got? They got that place down there that makes uh, tumbleweed. Is that it? That, that, they got that. That's good. You know, there's lots of good things in Maysville. Uh, our sister church, Sister Debbie, down in uh, uh, Maysville at Orangeburg, actually, is where the the main campus is for their church in Orangeburg, Kentucky. I was there as associate pastor for three and a half years and served with uh, Pastor Trent down there. And Sister Debbie, uh, uh, she took over the church after Pastor Trent resigned and left. And uh, she went on to do great things. And next thing you know, there's people downtown at a church that closed down. And those people on that board come to her and said, Hey, if you want our building, we'll give it to you if you'll take it. We'll give it to you. No money exchanged. We'll give it to you. Sister Debbie says, i got to pray about it because <laughs> she prays about everything. 
some things that appear good may not be good. But Sister Debbie goes home and prays about it and seeks God, and God shows her the path to go, and they use it as an outreach station downtown in Maysville. It's on Wood Street, and we went down there multiple times and, and been to different things they've had there and outreaches, and, and they give away beds. or some place a few years ago gave them like hundreds of mattresses. They went downtown in Maysville and give away mattresses. Every year they do their turkey outreach down there. They give away hundreds of turkeys in downtown Maysville. So God opened up a door for them to be able to minister to the community. And, and I love Maysville because there's people in Maysville, and that's the first time I ever carried the cross uh, was with the church at Orangeburg, and I, I messed up and wore my cowboy boots that day, and I walked so far. Uh, up, we walked all the way from Walmart in Maysville up to the church at Orangeburg, and it's about seven point something miles, and I was wearing cowboy boots because that's how smart I was. And my feet, whenever I took my boots off, they were raw, and my socks were completely red because blisters wore off. And I, I gained blisters and more blisters off in the same trip. You ever had a blister? That hurts. It's painful. But I walked with Scott the whole way, and, and uh, it was a joyous occasion to be able to see great things. So don't take this as in saying Maysville. I'm trying to paint a picture that the enemy, the Bible says his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his threefold purpose in existing on this planet, is to kill, to steal, and destroy. He wants to take away from your life. He don't want to add anything to your life. And as the enemy comes in these attacks, in these temptations, we need to understand and recognize them when they happen. Amen? That's why the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant. You know, to be aware, to be conscious of what's going on in your life because whenever those temptations come and it looks like a golden opportunity or a golden door is opening for you, you need to understand, is this really God? And we need to pray about it, amen, and really seek God to say, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Not what I want to do, but is this what God wants me to do? Because sometimes our ways are not His ways. His ways are past finding out, the Bible says. They're so much beyond what we know. But it's also His intent to give you more than you ask or think. Yes, amen. amen? He gives us the desires of our heart. And, and God does that whenever they're right and they align with His plan. He don't say that he gives us every desire of our heart. Amen? He gives us the desires of our heart. So if it aligns with his path for your life, whenever you're praying, whenever you're seeking God and asking God for direction, you can say, God, I need your help. I need you to help me through this uh, decision-making process so that I don't mess up. Is there anybody in the room that's ever made a bad decision? We're, that's something we deal with on a daily basis. I've seen Dusty's post there today on Facebook to the to the teenagers, letting them know how many decisions was it twenty some thousand or something decisions you got to make every day. That's scary. I don't want to make that many decisions a day. I don't like making one. Do you? Decisions are not fun, but decisions has consequences. So as we make these decisions, we're going to see. So as Paul's writing back to the Corinthians, he's telling them here that they need to be aware, that they need to be vigilant, that they need to be thinking about these things. And he's telling them that the, that the Bible, that the Old Testament that they've read for all their life because the ones that were there were Jews in Corinth, they had read the Old Testament their whole life. They had grew up 
in a church type setting in, in synagogues that was scattered all over uh, uh, all over that region of, of Rome at the time. There were synagogues everywhere. So they grew up understanding the Word of God. But it's one thing to know that the Word of God exists, but it's another thing to know that the Word of God applies to you. That it's got a meaning, that, there, that it's not just happenstance that these words got written down. So as he's telling them that Moses, whenever Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, that there's a pattern of that exactly like in your life. We've all got Egypt. But you know what Egypt represents? Egypt represents bondage. Our life, our past, our history represents that we were born into bondage. The children of Israel that went down into Egypt, they didn't think that they was going to stay there forever. They just went there for the famine. But next thing you know, generation after generation, for 400 years, they lived in slavery. And sometimes the sin that we're born into, it it takes a hold on our life, and we think it's normal. Can I hear an amen? The sin that we're born into, that it seems like it's a, it's a hereditary thing. And it may be that you look back on the generations of your family and you say, well, well, mama dealt with that and, and grandmama dealt with that and, and her mama dealt with that. So it's just common. And that's what I need to deal with. That's the Egypt having its bondage on your life. Amen. Amen. The sooner we get over the fact that I don't have to deal with what everybody else dealt with because God changed my life. Amen. Whenever I get saved and I come to the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's when all my past, all my sin is done away with. I'm no longer under the curse. I'm under the blessing. So whenever we see this Egypt rising in our life, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, don't worry about what all you've done wrong back there. Worry about all the good you're going to do from this point forward. So I'm here preaching to you today telling you, you've got a better future than you've had in your past. You've got a brighter future. There's greater things ahead for the body of Bethesda. There's greater things ahead for you as an individual. Don't look at the pain in your life and let it it determine your future. You may be having pain right now. You may be going through issues right now. And it seems like it's got a grip on your life. I'm asking you today the same way Paul did. There's no temptation but that which is common to man. And if it's allowed you to be tempted, if God allowed you to be tempted, then there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. This word escape is a beautiful thing. I've read stories this past week about a prisoner. I think he was down south somewhere. And it, and it showed that he, he had been incarcerated a couple times and he broke out a couple times. And this was the last time. And he, he took the vent out of his, his uh, a cell and just he lost all this weight. And, and he, he really prepared himself to be able to escape prison. And he took this vent out and he, he went through a 10-inch by 10-inch hole. That's preparation to escape, isn't it? If you're as big as me, I'm not going to fit through a 10-inch by 10-inch hole. You couldn't shove me through that with a D9 bulldozer. I'm not going to fit. You know what I'm saying? So you've got to prepare for the escape. You've got to have the mentality, I'm going to get out of this. I'm not promoting people to break out of prison. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. Sorry, Mr. Lockins, you can tell your dad. I'm not preaching for people to break out of the jail. It's no fun, right? I remember the boy, I don't even remember his name, a few years ago, the ones that broke out down at the jail, and they found him like a week later, and he was starving to death, and he, he gave up. He, he said, I'll go back to jail if you'll bring me a hamburger. 
One night, he was, that was his request. He wanted a hamburger. He said, I'll, I'll let you come and get me if you'll bring me a hamburger. I'm tired of being out here hiding. So, but anyway, this escape deal. Escaping requires preparation. Escaping requires a change of mindset. Escaping requires determination. And as I'm saying this word escape over and over and over again, I really believe that Paul was telling the Corinthian church that the reason they were in the debacle they were in and all the things we've studied about Corinthians so far, about sexual idolatry, about all these things, about food, about everything we studied for the past five or six weeks, we saw that they were in bondage still from their past. And I can say as a church that I can see people in this room that still deal with pain from your past. You've been saved. You've been baptized in water. You've, you've, you've prayed and asked God to help you with these things. But there's still bondage holding you back. And I'm telling you, there's more potential in this room. We could turn the world upside down if we would get away from our past. If we could get away and escape from the things that's holding us back, from the destiny God has for our life as a church. If every one of us would get in one mind and one accord during a vision meeting on a Wednesday night and coming together and saying, God, I know you've been really good to us this past year, but what do you want to do this next year? How much more do you want to do in our community this next year? Not just that we can go do more outreaches or not just that we can hold bigger car shows or not just that we could have a bigger camping trip, but God, you're so much bigger than what I've been dealing with with I need to escape the routine mundane seems like I'm stuck in the rut of life and I'm ready for God to do something more Paul's saying there is a way of escape there is a way he won't allow you to be tempted unless he already knows there's a way of escape in the same way these people that Paul was writing to, and he's telling them that there is a whole host of, of stories in this book that we study on a weekly basis. There's so many stories in this book that will explain to you about the escape method. Whenever you're reading about Moses and reading that he goes into Egypt and he tells Pharaoh for a couple months there that he's going back and forth with Pharaoh and he's telling him, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let them go. Then we see the plagues, don't we, Ernie? We'll see, we'll see frogs. We'll see the locusts come. We'll see all the river turn to blood. We've seen all these things. And then the, the enemy don't want to let you go. The enemy don't want to let you forget your past. He's not going to give up easy. And as he's trying to plot and plan and manipulate into your life and cause you to stay in bondage, you've got to have a determination. I want to escape. Moses was determined because he had saw God in the fiery bush on the mountain that told him, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. There's got to be an escape. There has to be an escape. There's got to be more to life than what we've been living. Come on, somebody. There's got to be more to life than what we've been living. Debo, there's got to be more, man. You don't want to live the rest of your life doing what you've always been doing. We need, we need escape mentality. Amen. Amen. We need God to show up and, and get us out of this mundane. Amen. It's 
So as, 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 as Moses is seeing this and he goes back to the enemy multiple times, Ernie, he goes back and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah. Are you determined? Uh-huh. Are you determined on God's promise to keep telling the enemy, no, God said I'm getting out of here. Amen? Yeah. I'm getting out of here. You can try to put me in bondage all you want, but there's a way I'm coming out. I've been told by God that there's a way of escape, and He won't let me be tempted. He won't let me live in bondage all my life because there's a promise from God. And eventually, Moses comes up. Pharaoh, you're going to let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not. This is the Passover, the final one. The final leg, the final straw. Moses walks up to Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Moses goes back to the people of Israel and he says, God told me to tell you, every one of you, go out and get a lamb and put it down and take the blood of that lamb and you wipe it on your doorpost. You boil that meat and you eat it. And whenever you go in to sleep tonight, the angel of death is going to appear and it's going to come throughout this land and it's going to take every firstborn of every family. How many knows whenever that's the story, you better be wiping some blood. Amen. 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 When that's the story that comes from God and that's his purpose for your life and he tells you to do it, it's time to get the blood out. And as this happens, they take the hyssop and they dip it in the blood and they wipe it over their doorpost. Have you ever been around blood? Has anybody ever been around a slaughterhouse? It stinks, it smells, it do- there's, nothing, there's nothing glorious about it. It isn't a big shiny moment and whenever you can go up to the butcher shop and, and watch what happens. I took Leslie whenever the butcher shop opened here a few years ago and she's like, I don't want to see that anymore. It ain't nothing to watch. It's nothing glamorous about it. But God says this is what to do. And sometimes the things he tells you to do to get out of bondage is not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be glorious. It's not going to be a fun time. It's not going to be something that you're really looking forward to. But let me tell you something. Whenever God says do it, no matter what it looks like, no matter how much you're going to get laughed at, no matter how much everybody else says that can't happen, that won't work, you need to stand on the promise of God. So all of Egypt goes out and they wipe their doorposts with this blood. And the angel of death comes through that valley that night. And all of the Egyptians lost their firstborn children. Every one of them. And if you don't think this will put pain in the heart of the people, think for a moment if everybody in this room lost your firstborn. What kind of pain would that be? I know women in our community right now, the mothers that I know of, of people that I went to school with, I went to all of my generation of my school, we went to school with this one individual. I was with him a weekend before he died. Partying, running up down the road. We was drinking Ernie and, and driving home from the bars and going to party after the bars and living it up. This is what I want to do. I'm a teenager. I'm going to show you I'll do what I want to do. Mom laying at home praying and crying out to God on my behalf and I'm too dumb and I'm out doing stupid stuff. The weekend before this young man dies, I was in a, a car right in front of him and we beat a DUI checkpoint. 
at the Fire Brick Bank. There's a DUI checkpoint, and we're coming home from the bar early in the morning. And the blue lights, when we come around the curve, we saw those blue lights up there, and there's a big, long line. We shut the lights off on our car. We went down the road there, going to the, to the dam, and went up the railroad tracks. Come back out down in Fire Brick. And I remember getting to the party that night and bragging and just boasting. Boy, we really beat them, didn't we? We, we, we outsmarted them cops. So next time cops, you're up there doing a DUI checkpoint, make sure and watch that little road right there. You might want to block that. This young man that I graduated high school with in that car. The next weekend, he goes to the bar, takes another friend of mine that's passed away now because of drugs that I graduated with. The two of them got in a car and left the bar coming home. He let my other friend out at his house, and he wrecked in garrison and lost his life. And I saw the pain in his mom's eyes. For years and years and years. Every time you meet her, she's her only child. All she talks about is her son. I'm not going to say whether he made heaven or hell. That's not for me to decide. I hope and pray that whenever he wrecked that car, that he had a chance to call out to God. Amen? But he left a worrying mom because he lost. She lost her son. Think about the anguish in the Egyptians over losing their children because Pharaoh wouldn't listen. The enemy don't want to bring joy to your life. He wants to bring pain to your life. He wants you to suffer. I know other parents out on the ridge, Debbie Dummett, Matt's mom, Joey Dummett, coming home from work, 19 years old, I believe. A drunk driver pulls out in front of the car. I think there was three of them got killed instantly like that, just driving home from work. Just last year, another person out on the ridge, Howie's neighbor, right next door to Howie, our cousin. Rex in the middle of the night, passes away at an early age. And you can see his mom out there every day with anguish in her heart about losing her child. That's what the enemy wants to bring to our community. How many would rather have our teenagers coming up on fire for God And living a life with passion that knows there's a way of escape. Just because my papa was a drunk don't mean I have to be a drunk. Just because my granddaddy had to smoke dope don't mean I have to smoke dope. Amen. Just because all my uh, family heritage has always been that there's chaos, that there's turmoil, that there's strife, that there's division, that there's anxiety, that there's depression, that there's oppression, that all these things. Don't we sing a song about there will be no oppression? The depression is gone. How many would like to get rid of the depression in your life? 
anxiety in your life, fear in your life. How many would like to do away with that? I'll be first in line. I don't like being depressed. There's moments of my life when I go through hell as a pastor that I get depressed. There's moments of my life when I've got fear coming on and it tries to overtake me and bind me and say, you can't do this anymore. But there's got to be something different on the rising up on the inside of me. It says, there's a way of escape out of this. I might be tempted to try to think I've got to give up, but I know my God is bigger than this mess that I'm going through right now. I'm ready to see my deliverer change my life. I'm ready for my future to impact this generation. These kids are worth more than that to me. It may feel like I'm going through hell, but they're worth the hell that I'm going through. Amen. Paul's telling them, Moses was an example for you. You can get out of this junk. It's time for you to get out of this junk. It's time for you to get away from this mentality that it's just always going to be this way. We need a way of escape. And for the mommies in the room, I want you to know today, There's a way of escape. And whatever you dealt with, whatever fears, whatever anxiety, whatever depression, whatever you're dealing with as an individual, I'm telling you here today, it doesn't have to be that way for your kids. It doesn't have to be that way. There's an escape path. And I'm praying today that you'll make a decision, that you're willing to say, God, I'm sick of it. I'm ready for it to change in the next generation. I'm ready for the next generation in our community to not grow up and seeing all these teenagers. Whenever I went to my 20-year anniversary reunion last year from high school, two years ago, man, time flies. It's crazy. There were seven of my peers that I was in high school with that they had candles sitting there burning on a table at our graduation party and the sad part was as I stood there and looked at those candles I know for a fact that six out of seven of them was drug and alcohol related to this the other one pretty sure that was that case too That don't have to be the normal. We don't have to accept that that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. The only way different that it's ever going to change is whenever the adults change. There's a few people in their head shaking their head. Is there anybody in this room saying, whenever the adults change, the kids will change? They don't do what you tell them to do. They do what you do. One amen. You can tell them all you want. Don't do this. And then you do something different. They do what you do. They act like what you act like. And I thank God that, that that there's a path of escape for the kids because God knows that he needs to reach the generation in this room. It isn't just the children's church over there that's learned about Jesus this morning or on Tuesday nights when all the teenagers come and, and they, they meet together and they, they, they talk about Jesus and try to explore things in life. They don't have the life experience to go with it yet. They don't know what it means to be in bondage yet. They don't understand. They think it's fun. It's not fun. And adults, it's time for us to grow up and lead a generation that comes to know Jesus. 
Amen? Amen. It's on our shoulders to say there's a better way. Not this I want to talk about a better way, but I want to show you that God has redeemed my life and changed my life. And if you will openly talk to... Let me tell you something, parents. Talk to your kids about it. Be open with your kids. Don't lie about the past and don't try to put on some pretty face like that you was perfect all your life. Explain to them. I, was, I went through hell. I was a drunk. I was an alcoholic. And God redeemed me. He, he brought me out of that temptation. He delivered me from alcohol. He delivered me from these different things. Talk to your kids about it. Let them learn from your past so they don't have to experience it. The pretty little face that we all put on when we come into church, the devil sees through that. We can act like our, all of our little lives are just perfect, but I, I'm here to tell you today, there's some messed up people in this room. And our church face doesn't cover it. People know. We need to understand that the escape route was provided by God. And it's only Jesus Christ that you can escape. It's the only escape door for the trouble in your life is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul ends this with here. That it's Christ. He is the one that can get you out of your mess. He's the door. He provided a way. The Bible's very clear that Jesus said when he was there on earth, he said, I stand at, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anybody that opens with me, I'll come in and I will sup with them. I will make communion with them. I will be one with them. If we will open the doors of our heart to say, Jesus, I'm a wreck. I'm perplexed. I'm troubled. And I'm dealing with things that I don't know how to deal with. And I need you to make a way of escape. And whenever we just turn the latch on that door and open that door, that's the moment he'll walk in. And everything will change. Sometimes our desires change. Sometimes our plans change. And I don't know what you've been planning lately, but I'm asking you again, regroup and ask God, is this your plan? Life or death hangs in the balance of the decisions we make. Sometimes we get thrown off. Anna Jarvis was the lady that started Mother's Day. She was the one that initiated it. She went to the president. She had spent all this time in her local community in West Virginia drumming up support and, and rallying people in the Congress and Senate. And she went to full tilt trying to figure out a way to get Mother's Day to be something because mothers are to be appreciated. She had good intentions. She had watched her mother care for the Civil War people that had got shot during the war. She took them into her home. She really dealt with them and helped them. And Anna Jarvis loved her mom. And she wanted to appreciate her mom. So she comes up with this idea, let's have a Mother's Day. Finally, in 1914, it ends up going through the Senate, going through the Congress, and ends up on the desk of the President. Woodrow Wilson, sitting in Washington, D.C., in the White House, takes his pen, and just with a few strokes, Signing his name becomes official. Mother's Day 
is a national holiday. How many can imagine the victory that Anna Jarvis felt like in her heart? Can you imagine the joy of trying and trying and striving and, and doing everything you can to get something to come together? And the minute it gets enacted, it's like, man, there's a joy comes with that, isn't it? I can imagine her heart just overflowing, thinking, man, I've really got it done now. It's, this is finished. It's finalized. The president signed it. It's done. Next year, we're going to, in May, we're going we're gonna to have this big day, and it's going to be Mother's Day, and everybody in the nation of the United States, they're all going to understand that it's Mother's Day. But at this same time, there's mothers over on the other side of the world. That their sons are walking out the door to go to war. It's World War One. The beginning stages are happening. At the same time Woodrow Wilson is signing this paper, there's papers being signed over there that's saying we're getting ready to go to war and nations rising against nation and Germany is pitting itself against France and going to war with France and, and Germany's looking over and saying we're going to take on Russia and all these wars and powers to be. There's, there's chaos in Europe. Woodrow Wilson decides that he's going to stay out of the war, that we're just going to stay over here and take care of America. We're going to sign laws like Mother's Day. We're not going to enact war. We're going to do Mother's Day. When people around the world are dealing with pain, and worry, and dread, loss of life, they bombed. They, it was the first war in history where that they, they used to, uh, had tanks, and they had these bigger bombs, and, and tore down buildings. Prior to that, you would get out in the middle of the field, and you would go at each other with guns and shoot each other until everybody was laying on the ground. Now they're blowing up stuff. It was carnage like the world had never known in World War I. All this begins to happen, and it's, it's 1915 or 1916, and I can imagine the joy of Mother's Day here in America. But there's pain around the world. This is, is going on, and the process is going on. Woodrow Wilson gets elected again, and his slogan for his campaign in 1916 is this. Wilson kept us out of the war. That's his slogan for his campaign. That's in November of 1916. And Ernie, do you know in 1917, in January the 28th, I believe it was, that Woodrow Wilson had to go to the Congress and say, we need a declaration of war. And America joins the war. See, right in the middle of all the Mother's Day events, chaos ensues. Now America's in the war, and we send our, our, our young men and our, our, our cadets are, are heading across the waters, going to, over to fight and, and, and fight in World War I and take on the world. It's world war. The world had never seen that type of war that, that was that broad-reaching. When good stuff happens, the enemy comes against you. Mother's Day, the first two or three Mother's Days were, were in a chaotic time. And during that war, I can imagine the Mother's Day. And I've heard stories about churches that would nail the names uh, uh, up on the wall, the papers of the sons that walked over to go to war. And they nailed them to the wall. And they would pray every service. They would get down and pray for minutes upon minutes upon minutes. It wasn't just a 30-second prayer for the cadets that was going over, for the ones in the army that was going over. It was, they would spend a service praying for them. Mother's Day is a good thing. 
but it was in a time of pain when it was birthed. Just like that for moms. Your first child, whenever you become pregnant, I know I've looked like I'm pregnant, but I'm not. You see the news, you're conceived, you're, you're going you're gonna to have, have a child, and then you go, now they got the fancy stuff, and they give you ultrasound, you know what, what was going to be born, a boy or a girl. In the Bible, you read about it in there. They didn't know. They couldn't release balloons three months in. Different time, ain't it? They couldn't cut a piece of cake, and whether it's blue or pink, know what they're going to have. You had to you had to wait right up to the day, Ernie, and they you know they'd be there, and all of a sudden the, the birthing process happened. They're like the dad standing out there wondering, is it going to be a son? Is it going to be a daughter? I don't know. And then they come out, and all, it's a boy. It's a boy. That's why Abraham's out there, like yeah, woo. God told me it's going to be Isaac. Been bad if it'd been a girl, wasn't it? God says you're going to have a son, name him Isaac, and then whenever it's born, it's a girl. It'd be like Isaac the girl. You didn't pick names back then before you was born. I don't guess you couldn't. It's a different time. But in birthing, there's pain. But I hear all these mothers talk about during that process of when that baby is born, it is painful. And it exceeds anything that, man, I'm a weak, I'm a wimp, I'm just a wimp, I'll tell you. Leslie tells me all the time, if I get the flu, I'll lay for five days on the, on the couch. I'll just take full advantage of being sick, don't you? We're, we're weak. Men's weak. Women endure this pain, and, and, and I've seen them pictures that you see now. Whenever somebody, the baby's born, they'll lay that baby there, and that mom's just smiling. And I'm like, really? After all that pain, you're going to smile? Yeah. It's the joy of motherhood. Something happens with that. It's kind of like that with Mother's Day. There's a little bit of smile there for a moment, but then war ensues, Ernie, and there's pain comes along after that. And it's like that in our life. Whenever we get born again, how many's been born again? Born again. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. We've been born again. That's a birth. And there's joy that comes with that birth. But right after that birth doesn't mean there's not going to be any more pain. Amen? Life is pain. So as this pain happens, what are we going to do with it? And it's Anna Jarvis. She'd see pain come after she got her victory. Then she'd seen pain come after this, Ernie. And there's a story I read on the Internet just a while ago. I was in there looking and, and studying about her and reading more about her. And it said in her story that was just uh, she walked in a restaurant a few years after this uh, got enacted that now it's Mother's Day. It's official. And she walks into a restaurant and they have a Mother's Day salad. She buys this salad. And as she's sitting there eating that Mother's Day salad, she looks at it and takes a couple bites, and she's like, this isn't what it's about. And it says that an anger rose up on the inside of her, that she got so angry that the world was commercializing what she had fought for. All the meetings, all the pain, all the anxiety, all the fear of meeting men, because it wasn't women's right. They couldn't even vote until the 20s. She got Mother's Day enacted by a bunch of men. But this commercializing, they, they made a salad, a Mother's Day salad, and whenever they had this salad, and she sitting there and she just got frustrated by it. And it says she took that salad and dumped it out on the floor and paid for it and walked out. Mad. Because society 
that took advantage of the pain she had endured. And I'm here to tell you today, quit causing your mama pain. My message today is this, quit causing your mama pain. Everybody here, if your mama's living, don't cause her any pain. She endured enough to birth you. Quit causing her pain. She's worth more than that. If you don't think she's worth more than that, go read Psalms or Proverbs 31. It says her worth is far beyond rubies. And anybody that's lost your mom, you can attest with me and say today, Ernie sat here years ago we buried his mama I remember Ernie going up to the nurse home and seeing her and loved hearing her stories Ernie can't take her cards he can't take her flowers today I love my mama with my whole heart I don't want to bring her any pain. She had enough dealing with me. I weighed 10 pounds when I was born. No wonder I'm so fat. <laughs> you have a fat baby, you're going to have a fat son, I guess, Mama. That's just what it is. I don't know. <laughs> Let's stand. everybody here just bow your head and close your eyes even if you have lost your mother even if they have passed on left this life for the next there's still multitudes of women that's around you maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your wife maybe you still have your mother-in-law maybe your grandma's still living Maybe you have an aunt that speaks into your life. Jesus, help us not to cause pain. The prayer of Jabez ends with don't let me cause others pain. Everybody here, just back here. Close your eyes. Keep them closed. I want, I want to see a raise of hands. How many in this place will say today, I've caused those mothers, those aunts, maybe my mother-in-law, maybe maybe my grandma I've caused them pain and I'm tired of it I want to make a way of escape today I want to quit causing pain is there anybody here that raise your hand and say I want to stop causing others pain 
I want that way of escape. pray with you right now. Everybody in this room, I just want to, if you'll just repeat this prayer for me, everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. You told me in your word that you would make a way of escape. God, I ask you today, let me take that route of escape that I would forget my past that I will change my ways and I'll act more like you help me to have and live the bright future that you planned for me I don't want to no longer cause others pain help me escape God Jesus' name.